Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, April 7th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to discuss what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Writer Twytran Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. And Brad is not here this week, but he'll be back next week or actually he'll be back on this podcast later this week so yeah you can look forward to that uh none of us have been doing anything exciting this week so we're going to move on to what we've been reading jacob what have you been reading uh, i read the view from the bridge by nicholas meyer who is best known for directing star trek 2 and star trek 6 but this is his overall memoir of his time in hollywood which covers not only the star trek movies but also uh him making the infamous tv movie the day after the time travel, you know, rom-com adventure, time after time, the books he wrote, the screenplays he wrote. And it's a really interesting read because even though the cover of the book really sells this as being a Star Trek book, Meyer himself was never really into Star Trek. He's actually pretty dismissive of it early in the book. And it turns out he's kind of the right guy to save it because Star Trek was uh, struggling after the first movie. And he came in, made a bunch of big sweeping changes, and made a, an absolute classic that Trek fans absolutely love. So, But you don't need to be a Star Trek fan to preach this book. It's just... Lots of good Hollywood stories of him 
you know, brushing elbows and butting heads and sometimes coming off like a real jerk, <laughs> a jerk who made Star Trek too. So I can't be too mad at him. Uh, it does peter out because he wrote it in 2009 and as before, he didn't quite have a comeback, but he got more work in the, in the, in the last decade, including being uh, a consultant on Star Trek Discovery. And the book ends with very much him going, oh, Hollywood these days, all special effects, you know, grumpus old man stuff. <laughs> uh, and so the last, you know, 30 pages or so, not great as it just becomes him railing against Hollywood and how he's not working anymore. Uh, but up to that point, extremely entertaining, extremely interesting, uh, pulls no punches, goes into a lot of detail about nitty gritty things. And it made it for a really interesting double header with uh, Letter Nimoy's I Am Spock because... There are things that Leonard Nimoy brushes over or, you know, doesn't talk about that Nicholas Meyer absolutely does. And they have conflicting stories about the making of Star Trek 2 and 6. I thought was very interesting. But like I said, you don't need to know Star Trek to appreciate the view from the bridge. You just got to uh, really appreciate this uh, old school, brutally honest New Yorker telling Los Angeles stories. That's, that's the view from the bridge. I, I highly recommend it. And I think you were the first of us, Jacob. Uh, well, actually, we're moving into the what we've been watching section. And I think you were the first one of us that, well, actually, no, I saw Tenet in the theater, but I rented it out, like, sing, singularly. Did Brad see something in the theater? Yeah, I think Brad also saw Tenet with a yeah. rental, yeah. Yeah, we did one of those, like, you know, gr- small group of people rentals. But you were the first person in this group that actually went to like, the, you know, bought a ticket and went to like a normal theater with normal people that you didn't know. Uh, yeah. I, I, you weren't here for the episode where we talked about nobody, which I also saw in theaters. So this is my, oh. my, sec- my second return to theaters, Peter, but uh, yeah, it's been, it's I talked about, I talked about the experience. Oh, of... that's funny. I've actually listened to that episode and I completely <laughs> forgot about that. <laughs> no worries. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, as I talked about before, you know, I think that my local theaters are doing a good job of, making you feel safe and as a fully vaccinated person as, as a member of the new elite looking down I'm joking yeah. uh, but as a person who's fully vaccinated I, I do feel safe returning to theaters and Godzilla vs. Kong is a movie made for theaters I'm glad I saw it you know big and loud uh, because that movie's big loud and dumb and I really enjoyed it uh, I think Adam Wingard uh, very rightfully pivots from uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters a movie I do not like at all and while I miss the sort of horror tinged real world realism of the first Godzilla movie that Gareth Edwards made if you are going to have heroic Godzilla you know fighting heroic King Kong because let's face it they're both the heroes of this movie there's no villain here uh, it really is a case of embrace embrace the, the, the ridiculous of it have spaceships have hollow earth theories have wild technology <laughs> cut the human stuff down to the bone and, like, and keep it as silly as possible uh Godzilla vs. Kong is absolutely ridiculous, uh, and it's it's really hard for me to be mad at a movie that's having this much fun. That feels like it is drawing a page from like '60s Japanese Godzilla as opposed to you know anything more modern. Uh, I had a blast with every silly second of this movie. Uh, although I do think that Kong, Adam Wingard, clearly a Kong fan more so than a Godzilla fan. I think, but Peter, you saw us at home. How would you feel about this? Well, I wish I saw this in theaters, but I am not at the point where I've gotten my second shot yet, so I don't feel comfortable going into the theater yet. Um, but, yeah, this is, I don't know, it might be that, like, we haven't seen a big movie on the scale since this pandemic hit, but I was just, like, having so much fun watching this movie, and I know it has flaws. I know that the human characters are dumb. I get it. Um, you know, it's not, like, the perfect movie, but I was just having so much fun with how, as you said, how ridiculous it gets and how silly and stupid but like i don't know i was just on board for all of it like you know they like you said godzilla like treats it very grounded like if a you know a monster 
came out of the water and came, you know, it just started uh, destroying things and stuff like that. But this, like, you know, ramps it up to, like, you know, if Godzilla was, like, a 6 out of 10 in <laughs> ridiculousness, this ramps it up to, like, 50. There's, like, you know, <laughs> spaceships. There's a hollow Earth. There's, uh, there's concepts here that feel almost like they were some of the stuff that Guillermo del Toro wanted to do with his Pacific Rim universe that he never got to do. Um, it just seems like so crazy and insane. And yes, the human characters are dumb, but at least I didn't hate watching them as much as I did in that last movie. I really hated that last movie, uh, Godzilla King of Monsters. It, it was, I think the only one of the series that like I actively disliked, I, you know, Godzilla is not a great movie, but I really enjoyed it. And uh, Skull Island is just, it's kind of like this. It's just fun. It's stupid, but fun. I think I the characters in that, I probably disliked a little bit more than the characters in this. Um, but I don't know. I just had so much fun with this. I wish we could have spent more time on some of the ideas like Hollow Earth. And um, I don't know. I, yeah, it, it, I highly recommend seeing this. I, you know, coming off of uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, which I also saw on HBO Max, which was, you know, this long four hour drawn out, just dark and grim and nothing like fun or insane. Like, I mean, the craziest things about it, I hated. This just felt like such a fresh breath of air. And I don't know. I just under two hours, Peter, under two hours. Yeah. (laughs) And I I don't want to sound like that, like that guy that complains about running times because some of my favorite movies are like three, four hours long. But. I don't know. I feel like you need to earn that. You really need to earn it. Yeah, it's not about length, it's about pace. It's about how does this movie move. And not to dump on Zack Snyder's Justice League, because people get mad at us, but that that thing is an assembly cut. It doesn't move. Uh, Godzilla yeah. vs. Kong, 113 minutes, and it moves. I mean, it, it never slows down. It has the right pace for this material, and I think that's great. Yeah. But Jacob, isn't it that movies under two and a half hours aren't real movies? Is that something people say? H-G? Oh yeah, there was a thing on Twitter recently oh, that went. No. <laughs> Sorry no. to keep pulling Twitter yeah, into it. It was about it was because the new Mortal Kombat movie is under two hours, and some guy was like, "This is a travesty. There are too many characters for this movie to be this short." And ev- <laughs> everyone was like, "There are so many great movies that are under two hours." And his this person's response was like, "That was in the old days. This is like modern film." And it was just like this. And this person was like being serious. They weren't like kidding. Like they firmly believe that in order to have a good movie, it has to be like over. It has to be like I think they said like two and a half hours. Yeah, two and a half new- hours. Anything under two and a half hours is a kids' movie, a Netflix movie, or a rom com. Yes, that's what, what they said. I, I I miss this completely. This is this this was on Sunday when none of us should be on Twitter. We should all <laughs> just shut Twitter down, have have like a mimosa, and not worry about this idiot. <laughs> Who was saying this stuff? Uh, what this ruined this ruined my day. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, two two things here. I've been like kind of off Twitter. I go on Twitter to promote things that I'm trying to promote, and I rarely actually open the Twitter app these days. I don't have it open on my computer, and I feel myself. I feel that I'm a happier person. I, I I'm a, like one of the earliest adopters of Twitter. I love Twitter, but I feel like I'm so happy not seeing the like it, it sometimes comes into my my view because you guys will mention in slack like uh you guys mentioned some kind of um bracket some podcast bracketing or something that people were upset of and i was like i don't know i'm so glad i'm not part it's of this a, it's right a now. terrible place i would i wish i could leave it i mean i 
I primarily stay on it for work to like keep yeah. track of news and to promote stuff, but I, it makes me want to die. It's a yes. terrible place. You've made a very my, good decision, Peter. Yeah. My advice is do what, do what I did. Uh, I deleted the app from my phone. I blocked it on my mobile browser. I can only access Twitter when I have my computer open at, during work hours. When I close on the weekends, I close in the evenings. I cannot even see Twitter, and it's made my life so much better. Yeah, I'll also say that I I use Feedly for like news, so I feel like a lot of people rely on Twitter to to find out what the latest, especially the people working like you know like we do. But I have Feedly, so like the stuff shows up in there, so it makes me not have to open Twitter to to find out the stuff. But uh, I, I do not to drag this out any further, but I do this conversation about how long a movie should be to be considered a movie. I don't I don't agree with this, this, this thesis that has been explained. But recently I saw well not recently, I think it was like probably six months ago. There was a movie on Netflix. It was a documentary about cube solvers. Maybe it was that one. I don't know. But it was like an hour long. Yeah, it's, like, it 50, it's like 55 minutes. It's, it's really good. Yeah, it's, it's really good. But at the end of it, I felt, I don't know, I kind of felt like this guy where I was like, as much as I liked it, and I, I raved about it on this podcast, I felt like it was ha- like not a full movie. Like, it, it, like what at what point do you guys think like a movie is like a feature length movie? Because I don't feel like that was a feature length. I think like it's like sixty some minutes is like the technical requirement. But yeah, I the always, Academy is sixty. But but I always uh, defer to the great Roger Ebert quote, which is quote No good movie is too long, and no bad movie is short enough. That's that's my <laughs> opinion, and I, I feel like that is the best uh, explanation because there are movies that are like four hours long that I will watch over and over again, and I will never get bored with them. And then there are movies that are like. 89 minutes long and I'll be sitting there and be like, when the fuck is this going to end? So it really, to me, it's a, it's a term of how good or bad the movie is. Well, I'm not even asking about like good or bad. Like, like I'm sure there's some horror films that you've watched that you like, uh, Chris, that are like under 90 minutes, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, do you consider those feature length films? Absolutely. Any, honestly, anything that's an hour in my, if I had to get technical, I feel like an hour, Maybe just all right. Let's say sixty-two minutes. Let's let's round up because a TV show can be an hour. So let's round it up to sixty-two minutes, right there. Does anybody else on this podcast have any strong opinions on what makes a feature-length running time? I think Chris is technically right. However, I would argue that anything above fifty minutes, if that's the right length for it, uh, I think can also qualify. I think that Cube movie is the exact length it needs to be. I, I don't need to know any more about that subject. I feel completely informed, so I, I can filed away as a full finished movie a movie is as long as it needs to be but yes i think chris uh summed up my feelings otherwise okay then i guess we can move on uh, we have to we spent the whole podcast talking about running time what's your favorite running time i think mine's 92 minutes it's, it's just in and out you know it's less than like less than an hour and a half like credits like what's your favorite running time no we don't have to we don't have to do this i would say that honestly my favorite running time is probably like an hour and 45 minutes i i like 90 minutes feels too short to me and that sounds insane, you saying that to me, Peter. 90 <laughs> minutes is too short. This is get, I don't know how Whoa. we're going down this path, but that's 90 minutes is fine. What a, 89 minutes. Who sign me up. But, but here's the difference, Chris. You watch how many movies a year? Two. No, 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 no. I think you keep track. <laughs> and I think you watch like over 300 movies a year. Probably like 
at least 300, probably like 400 to 500 or something like that. I, I think I watch like 100 movies a year. Like that's like two movies a week, which I think it's a lot more than the average, like, you know, non-film geek. Um, and I think that means that I watch a lot less crap because I'm more picky about what I actually choose to watch, which I, I know judging by what I've watched and you've heard on this podcast, people would debate that. Fine. Fair enough. But I, I am self-selecting stuff that I think I'm going to like more than I think someone that would like Chris that would watch 400 or 500 movies a year. So I think, I don't know. I think there's a difference in running time, running time there because I, I'm sure you watch a lot more crap. So 90 minutes is, is better for you. How dare you, Peter? Everything no? I watch is a masterpiece. <laughs> I don't watch crap. Okay. Uh, let's move on. Let's, uh, whatever I've been watching on a Disney plus they added on, Last week, they added this whole Star Wars vintage section, which has the Ewok animated series. It has the Tartoski uh, Clone Wars animated shorts. It has the animated Boba Fett uh, debut that was from the holiday special. They don't have the holiday special. I don't know why they don't have the whole holiday special. Maybe it's a rights thing. Maybe they're so embarrassed by it. I don't know. But they also have the two Ewok movies, which I have not seen since I'm a kid. It was a kid. I, I will admit, in my bedroom, I have a 10-foot French poster of the Ewok movie uh, because I love the art so much. It, it's Well, first of all, I, I, I got it for it, – it's not mine. It's Kitra's because I got it for her uh, at one point <laughs> because she loves Ewoks. And it's it's beautifully uh, illustrated by Drew Struzan um, and, uh, because this film internationally came out in theaters but domestically was released on home video, I think. Or TV, something, one of those two. But I have not seen it since I was a little kid, and I remember liking it as a little kid. And so we put this on, and uh, this is presented in a, a four by three aspect ratio. So they, they, they uh, you know, Snyder Vision is what I call it. And uh, uh, please don't. No, I know, I know, I know, I know. I was waiting for someone to call Peter on that terrible joke. <laughs> I was trying. I was trying for someone to call me on it. <laughs> I w- I'll say this about the Ewok movies, or at least this Ewok movie. This one was made in like 1984, so that's what after Return of the Jedi, I think, or right right around there. It- it's amazing that they have they have all the artistry from ILM working on this. Like, there's incredible matte paintings. There's incredible uh, visual effects being done. They have the costumes of like the Ewok costumes. They have uh, spacecrafts that were designed for the big Star Wars movies in it. They are shooting in Northern California in the uh, the Redwood Forest to recreate like Endor. And they have the, you know, the basis of this is the mythic storytelling of uh, what like Joseph Campbell and the stuff that inspired George Lucas with the Star Wars trilogy and you have Joe Johnston doing the production design. Like, you know, uh, he's the guy that was responsible for, you know, Boba Fett and a lot of the great designs of the original trilogy. And you have all these great people. You even have actors that were from the original Star Wars movies in this. And somehow this movie is such a mess (laughs) of a movie. And I don't know. I really don't know where, why it's so bad. I mean, I guess the story is, but like, I guess maybe even as a concept, it's hard to do a story about 
you're focusing on these creatures that can't speak English and you're not subtitling them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's about this, these two kids that are trying to return, uh, try to find, they, they crash landed on this planet, the planet, the forest moon of Endor, which, um, if you want to get geeky, everybody calls it Endor, but it's not actually not Endor. It's the forest moon of Endor. So it's the, the moon of Endor. But, um, <laughs> Anyways, uh, they, they are trying to find their mom and dad who are, they have uh, been captured by a gigantic creature that is done in this force perspective uh, way. It, I don't know. It, I, I'm glad I revisited this movie. Some of the practical effects are very bad. Some of the matte paintings are gorgeous. The I'm, I'm just so amazed that coming off the original trilogy that something so connected that had so many of the resources i I mean i guess you can clearly see it didn't have the budget of those films but that it could be so bad (laughs) but um has anybody here revisited this movie since childhood at all i don't want to say i revisited it but i just want to add that the i don't remember which one it was because there are two of them but one of the ewok movies was the first Star Wars thing I ever saw. Like I saw oh, that wow. before I saw A New Hope or Star Wars as I call it. And uh yeah, that's I I can't rem- tell you a single thing about it. I just remember uh I think it was like one of my aunts or one of my uncles had it on VHS and I was staying at their house for the day and I I watched that. And I I honestly don't remember. I just remember Wilford Brimley is in one of them and that's all I can tell you. But yeah, I saw that before I saw Star Wars and I've always been chasing that high of the Ewok movies. No. <laughs> Do you remember liking it as a kid? I don't remember. I'm sure I did because kids like everything. I'm sure I was like, this is gr- the best thing I ever saw. And then I ate my boogers or something <laughs> stupid like that. <laughs> I, I will say this, that I, you know, I remember enjoying this as a kid. I had seen it a few times as a kid and I was expecting to go back to this and be like, oh, it's not as bad as everybody says it is, but it, it's as bad as. Everybody says this. So you can, you too can now watch Caravan of Courage and Ewok Adventure on Disney Plus. Um, and uh, what else have I been watching? I fell down a hole on YouTube. I, I was, we ran out of stuff to watch we, in our subscriptions on YouTube, and a video from Mr. Beast was recommended to us. And I'll be honest with you, Mr. Beast, uh, for those of you who don't know, Mr. Beast, I think might be the one of the biggest YouTubers on the platform. He has the most subscribers or one of the most subscribers. He has, uh, let me look this up. He has 60 million subscribers. His videos typically get like 50 to hundred million views each. So to give, give you perspective, his stuff he produces gets more watched than the biggest stuff on television. So, uh, that said, I have a, even being sucked into YouTube as a platform, I've avoided Mr. Beast. I don't know why. I had like this impression of who he might be, and he's one of those big annoying YouTubers. And uh, I'm not gonna say I'm I was wrong about that. He is one of those kind of like younger, you know, gamer YouTubers who kind of like you know loud and you know with his friends doing stuff. That said, I I fell down this hole of Mr. Beast videos, and I I think I enjoy them for the most part because well the one that i i watched first was this one where he he had a credit card and he goes up to people in 
in stores. So he goes up to people in like a Target and he's like, I have this credit card here. I'm going to give it to you. You can buy whatever you want with this credit card, but there's a limit. So if we go to check out and it hits that limit, you, you do not get everything. But if it, if it doesn't, everything is yours for free. So that's the premise. But the, the, the actual conceit of it is that there is no limit on the credit card, that these people could buy a million dollars worth of stuff and walk out of the store with it. There's no limit for this credit card, but they don't know that. So they have to like, so they're collecting these things. Like there's, you know, people in like one of those, you know, hype beast sneaker stores, There's a, a, a woman in, in a jewelry store. And they're like, they, they're trying to buy what they want, but not buy. Don't be, they don't want to be too gritty because they don't want to go over the, this non-existent limit. So I don't know. I, I, I'm really enjoying his videos. He he has, I, I think he's found this niche for himself where it, it all seems to revolve around money and giving money to people because he has so many people watching his videos that, and he has these sponsors that he's able to generate so much money that like, and he puts it back into the videos. So there's this one video where he, for a day, Ubered people. And he would pick them up in a car and, you know, Uber them. And by the end of the car ride, give them the car. And it's all captured on tape with hidden cameras. And um, I'm trying to think what 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 other videos. Yeah, he opened up a free car dealership where he gave away cars to, you know, uh, people in need. Uh, they, he had one where he presented people with this option of, Will you take a hundred a hundred thousand dollars in cash, or this mystery key to something you don't know what it is, and they would have to choose. And sometimes the mystery key would be to like a Lamborghini, which you know is more than a hundred thousand dollars in cash. Or sometimes it would be like a new home. So I don't know. I, I feel like this is like a new wave. Like this is what uh, I guess game shows are in <laughs> in this world now. Uh, I. I don't know. I kind of like it when he, he does, he does these things for, he's not just um, giving money to his family and friends. He's doing it. Like, you know, he gave a homeless man a home in one of them, like a full house. He, he goes up to people like uh, one video was him in McDonald's going or going up to people in McDonald's, working at McDonald's, offering them a hundred thousand dollars to quit their job. Um, so I don't know. Is it, is it great? uh entertainment i don't know i'm not like but it, it i i do like that it has such a positive spin to it he's always kind of giving back to these people even if he does you know there is some i guess entertainment at their expense you know it's not just to be a good person but at the same time he wouldn't have this money to give them if it wasn't for this platform and this thing I, i'm wondering has anybody else here ever watched mr beast on youtube I prefer my YouTube super niche stuff that nobody watches, Peter. I've ne- I've never even heard of this. It sounds like you're making it up. Yeah, I've also, never heard like, of is this guy. person is this person like a billionaire? How does he can afford? How can he afford like all this stuff? I don't understand. Well, again, like if he has a a, a video that makes a hundred million yeah, views, that's, yeah. yeah, that's true. Uh, I don't know. Let's say that's a uh, ten dollars for every thousand. So that's um. I guess what I'm saying is, Mr. Beast, if you want to offer me ten thousand dollars, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> But there's videos where he gives a million dollars away in a video. All right. I, I take it back. I'll take the million dollars instead. Mr. Yeah. Beast hit me up on Twitter.com. Yeah. I think there was one where there was a million dollars in cash, like a, 
a pile of a million dollars in cash. And he had, uh, I don't know how many people to put their hand on the million dollars in cash. And the last person to remove their hand from it gets it. But this goes over the course of many days. Did, you know, they have to go to the bathroom. They can't leave the, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if, if compelling is the word, but I've kind of falling down the hole of, of watching this. And I, I don't quite feel bad about it, even though I maybe should. I don't know. But yeah, Mr. Beast. I feel like a lot of people are listening to this. So are you saying like, like the, Peter, the, the charitable things that he does cancels out the straight, the more troubling social experiment aspects of it? Yeah. Well, or, or you know what? Out? The thing is, like, he isn't one of those, like, guys that's a jackass on YouTube where, okay, give you an example. There was, was one video where he went around a college campus with a ghost pepper and he told people they would give him $10,000 to eat the ghost pepper. Now, the conceit of that was that the pepper actually wasn't a ghost pepper. It was just like normal pepper that wasn't spicy. So you see these people struggling on if they should do it for the $10,000. So I feel like it's never like, you know, do this thing for, well, I guess putting your hand on the hundred uh, on the million dollars, that might be a struggle after a few days. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, HD. <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm saying, but I, I feel like he's doing more good than bad in this world and uh having little kids which i'm sure is mostly his audience's little kids watching this guy who i'm sure they want to be they want to be you know youtube famous and the sh the show is mainly about him giving money back to people who need it i i think that's a good thing i think maybe I don't know, Jacob. What do you think? I feel like you're, 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 you're the guy to, to that that should rule on this, even though you you only know the information I've given you here. Uh, if I must say something, <laughs> I think uh, charity is an excuse, is an excuse for exploitation is a Snyder cut move and not one that I'm fond of. Uh, yeah, I can see that. I don't know. It's still very enjoyable to watch these people burst into tears. When the, you, you see that they're given a chance of, I don't know, changing their life. Anyways, okay, Jacob, what have you been watching? I watched the first episode of the new season of Creep Show on Shudder. And like the first season, it's very low budget, uh, all practical stuff, pretty much. Just a bunch of, you know, people the horror community likes, you know, got together on a shoestring budget and made horror stories together. It has a very much cobbled together, uh, inside joke feel to it like season one where if you're not part of the you know the horror club you may not enjoy it but i am part of that club and i enjoyed season one i enjoyed season two it's the kind of show where like the you know 1980s george romero film it's inspired by it's a bunch of different horror segments each episode is two 25 minute long you know horror uh, stories and the second story in episode one is about a is about a pittsburgh public access tv station where somebody tries to sell the Necronomicon from evil dead on a auction show reads from it, summons demons and the, the station's Bob Ross character must fight the, the, the demons from evil dead too. And if that sounds like fun to you, then yes, creep show is your kind of show. Uh, it is very silly. Like I said, if you're not already part of if you're already a died in the wool horror fan who understands the appeal of a Ted Raimi cameo, this is not for you, but if, but if you know who Ted Raimi is, then yes, you will probably enjoy watching Creep Show season two. Uh, Chris, I know you were really mixed in season one. Have you checked this one out yet? 
Uh, I I don't think I'm going to watch it based on what you're saying. I I love horror. I'm, I'm part of that horror club you're talking about. I know who Ted Raimi is, but the first season was just painfully low budget for me. And I'm not saying Creepshow needs to have a huge, huge budget, but like I've seen like student movies where people shoot things in their garage that look better than this show. And it just feels like a huge wasted opportunity to me because the idea is, is great. The idea of turning creep show into a TV show and rounding up all these, these horror creators to do it, that, that pushes all my buttons. I want to like that, but it was, it was so cheap looking and it was like poorly directed. Like it just felt like no one knew what the fuck they were doing. And it just, it kind of like broke my heart and based on what you're saying, it sounds like season two is not an improvement. So I don't, I don't know if I'll even get around to watching it. I yeah. want to, I yeah. want to like it, but <laughs> if I just, season I, one broke your heart, Chris, and no season two is not going to mend it. Yeah. I just, I, I, again, I like everyone involved with this. I love the idea. I just wish they would end up somewhere else where someone gave them like a better budget or hired someone who, kind of knew what they were doing to run the show because it just really doesn't feel like anyone knows what they're doing with this and i you know it just it upsets me i i want to like this and i can't uh, i will be the opposite end and say i really enjoy how homemade it feels i think i think they turn it into an aesthetic but chris is not incorrect he's not the only person to think this but i do think if you have shutter you should at least check out some creep show and see if it's for you because i i do enjoy it uh otherwise i finished uh hulu sasquatch which arrives later this month i Talked about the first episode a few weeks ago, and it's Six Landing. Really great true crime doc. I interviewed the director today, which you should look for on Slashfilm.com in the weeks ahead. I also watched the first episode of HBO Sports' Tiger series, which is a two-part documentary uh, chronicling the rise and fall and rise again of Tiger Woods. And as somebody who knew the basics, uh, this was a really interesting watch. At least the first half was. I'm sure it'll stick to landing based on the first half. And, you know, some real insight into a real broken guy. A guy who, as famous and as powerful as talented as he was, just was uh, fundamentally busted in a few key ways. And it's the best kind of sports story, which which is where one wants to understand the psychology of, of perfection. And what, what, what does it take to make yourself the best in the world at anything? And the answer often is, you got to break yourself and become something more than human and less than human. And uh, Tiger, I think, does a really interesting job of diving into that with those really stellar HBO, you know, quality production values. So yeah, both episodes of that are streaming on, you know, the HBO platform of your choice. And I'll be checking out part two, uh, probably the rest, uh, tonight or tomorrow, probably. Okay. Chris, what have you been watching? Uh, I watched unhinged, which is the Russell Crowe movie that kind of became infamous because it was one of the first movies to open wide again over the summer after stuff had shut down, because of COVID. And of course, as we all know now, that was a very premature opening. Um, it's on Amazon Prime night now, right now. And I, I, I've mentioned this before, but I, I try to watch junk when I'm on the elliptical machine. So I thought this will be a perfect elliptical movie. And I was right, because this is trash. Uh, it is it is not a good movie, uh, but it's worth watching for Russell Crowe, who is uh, going wild here. Um I feel like we all know Russell Crowe has, has gained some weight over the years and I'm not fat shaming him or anything. It's just a, you know, a fact of the matter, but he also wears a fat suit in this. So he looks even bigger than normal. And he just plays, he plays a guy going through row rage basically. And uh, the single mom honks her horn at him 
and he spends the rest of the movie riding around like murdering her friends and trying to kill her because he she upset him and everyone else in the movie is just bland and just average they're giving you know direct to video performances but he's having the time of his life and he's just over the top and he's just constantly sweaty and at some points he's doing like a Southern accent and some points he's not. And it's like, like I said, like none of this is, is good, but it's worth watching just to see Russell Crowe have the time of his life as this sweaty, overweight, crazy person. Um, I also think the movie is like kind of like morally reprehensible because it kind of makes it seem like it's rooting for Russell Crowe. Like it, it kind of makes it feel like, the the mom character is in the wrong for even daring to honk her horn at Russell Crowe. And that like did not sit well with me, but uh, if you can get past that and if you just want to watch Russell Crowe drive around slamming his car into people and, and, and uh, stabbing people and stuff like that, he set someone on fire at one point. Uh, you know, this is the film for you. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, opposite end of the spectrum i watched mayor of east town which is a new it's an upcoming hbo series with kate winslet it's your uh, favorite title of all time chris oh boy this title um <laughs> uh, i reviewed the show and the review is on slash one.com and i gave it a really good review because it's a really good show but the title sucks i really wish they'd come up with a better title but if you can get past that title you will find this really interesting murder mystery series and it's set in this small Pennsylvania community and uh it does a really great job of capturing like small town working class vibes and you know Hollywood isn't the best at doing that sometimes they they sort of go too far they don't go far enough and they can't really nail down that working class community mentality and this show does it really well and it builds up, you know, it builds up this entire community, basically, and how they're reacting to a murder that happens. And Kate Winslet is the cop investigating it. And, you know, in in true police procedural fashion, she's she's kind of a mess and she has to deal with her own personal problems. And uh, But it, it's it's really good. And she's great in it. You know, it, it feels like a cliche at this point to say Kate Winslet is a good actress, but she's phenomenal here. And this might actually be like her best performance ever honestly and uh not only that but she really nails down that that philly pa accent where people say water for water and stuff like that and that can sound a little you know bad when it's done poorly but she she makes it sound like you know it's her natural accent even though it's it's not and that's pretty impressive uh and then finally i finally started watching ted lasso which everyone has been talking about uh and i don't have much more to add i'll just say that it really is a, a charming show. I don't think it's as funny as some people have made it out to be. Like, I don't find it as laugh out loud funny as, as some people were kind of making it sound to me, but it's a very sweet, endearing, nice show. It's, it's part of that nice core subgenre where people are doing nice things for the sake of being nice. And, uh, you know, as, as, hokey as that might seem to some people it's it's nice to watch that it's nice to watch show about nice people doing nice things and so uh, i'm i think i'm like five episodes in and i'm i'm enjoying what i've seen so far well very cool and you can watch that on apple tv plus right yeah that's i i don't i yeah apple tv plus Yes. Uh, ben, what have you been watching? Uh, so I DVR'd a movie called Easter Parade that was playing on Turner Classic Movies uh, in the lead up to Easter and actually watched this 
either I think it was like the, the Saturday night before Easter Sunday. And um, this movie came out in 1948. It was directed by uh, Charles Walters, who direct who went on to direct um, uh, High Society, which is a movie that I've talked about on the podcast before. And one of the writers on this movie was uh, Sidney Sheldon, who is another writer that I've mentioned before. He wrote The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer and went on to become a very, very famous uh, best-selling novelist. Um, Easter Parade is about a nightclub performer who's played by Fred Astaire, who hires a naive chorus girl, who is played by Judy Garland, to become his new dance partner, to make his old dance partner jealous, and to prove that he can make any partner a star. So it's basically the old uh, she's all that kind of um, scenario. And uh, this uh, movie has music by Irving Berlin, who is one of the people behind uh, White Christmas, which is a, a an annual favorite in my house, or, or it was growing up anyway. And uh, the music in this movie is very disappointing. I actually like most of the songs in White Christmas. Um, the music in Easter Parade is not very good, but uh, it is, I would say, uh, pleasurable, enjoyable, um, entertaining, all of the above, to watch uh, Fred Astaire and Judy Garland perform on screen together. I don't think they were in very many movies together at all. Maybe this this might actually be the only one. Um, but they are both just very like winning personalities and uh, the characters they play um, work well together and, and, you know, just watching them dance in these really long, unbroken, complex shots. Um, you know, it's the same feeling you get from any Fred Astaire, or like Ginger Rogers movie, any of that old, you know, the, that old Hollywood golden age stuff of just like, man, these people, they really don't make movies like this anymore because these people are actually doing all this stuff and, and these long takes and they're not hiding any of it with editing and all of that. So um, and Miller's in this too, and she's pretty good. So uh, it, it's just a, a pleasant little movie. It's not, um, I was like Irving Berlin. Oh, wow. This is, this ought to be like, you know, uh, the music in this might, might be really memorable. And it, to me, it's only memorable for being disappointing. So that, that's kind of a bummer. Um, but Easter Parade is available to rent on all the usual suspects. If you want to check that out, it's like $3 to rent it or something. Uh, what else? Oh, I also watched uh, the first two episodes of this new HBO show called Exterminate All the Brutes. And this premieres on HBO tonight, and it's a four-part series. And uh, Raul Peck is the filmmaker here. He's the writer-director. He's the guy who um, directed I Am Not Your Negro a few years ago. And this show is really interesting. It is a hybrid docu-series. And I'm going to read from the uh, the official website here. It provides a visually arresting journey through time into the darkest hours of humanity. Um, and then there's another part that says uh, that it revisits and reframes the profound meaning of the Native American genocide and American slavery and their fundamental implications for our present. So it's basically a show about uh, how white supremacy came to be and, and how whiteness became sort of like the the default uh, setting for for so much of culture, uh, not only American culture, but all across the world. And it's um, it's a little, uh, it, it, the entire experience kind of reminded me of taking a really great college class from a super interesting professor that, you know, the, the, the type of classes where, I don't know if you guys ever had this in school, where you would go into a class and just be, I don't know, like, not expecting much from it, but the professor is, is so, um, compelling and just like, uh, such a 
a dynamic personality that you're like, oh, wow, this and presenting information to you that you had never really thought about in those terms before that, that the entire class just feels like, you know, it was one of those things that you just actually couldn't wait to go to uh, every week instead of sort of dreading it like I did for a lot of other classes. Um, so yeah, the, it's a little dry, the show, uh, his narration, Raul Peck, like inserts himself into the narrative and he wrote and directed this whole thing and narrates the entire thing. So it's a lot of his voice. Um, and some of it is a little dry, but I just find it to be so compelling the way that he sort of weaves together, uh, documentary footage and then like new stuff that he shot where Josh Hartnett plays sort of a main character of this, um, like flashback series of, of, uh, uh, sort of side stories that are like fictionalizing parts of the of history that he's talking about. And he just blends all this together into what seems like, yeah, just a really, really um, uh, smart and um, well-articulated uh, uh, breakdown of how uh, white supremacy has has become the sort of scourge that it is right now. So uh, it's called Exterminate All the Brutes and it premieres tonight on HBO. HT, what have you been watching? Uh, I watched Little Shop of Horrors for the first time. Um, this came about because uh, my roommate and I were just kind of browsing and wanting to, in the mood to watch a musical. And uh, I had never seen Little Shop of Horrors, Horrors before. I had actually only ever thought of it in terms of Alan Menken and Howard Ashman's pre-Disney careers, like where they got their starts. I knew it was a beloved cult classic musical, um, and I just never got around to it. And I always thought it was really funny that this is where Disney legends like Howard Ashman and um, Alan Menken, who composed for Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, uh, all the other like Disney Renaissance classics, got started on this like off weird, offbeat, off-Broadway musical about a cannibal a carnivorous man-eating plant. Um, so I was kind of curious about like how that came to be and like what uh, this show that like is basically what earned them Disney's attention uh, could have been. And uh, yeah, I knew very little about it other than the song Suddenly Seymour and uh, Rick Moranis and Ellen Green starring in it. And yeah, it's it's great. It's a little, it's a little delight. Um, it's actually surprisingly sweet considering it's a musical about a man-eating plant. I know that it's based off of a 1960 uh, B movie that actually had a young Jack Nicholson in it, and um, this one uh, is is just so campy and fun, and uh, and has that B movie horror uh, charm to it, uh, as well as just a bunch of SNL. Um, alums just popping up. I was surprised by how many were there. Like Bill Murray shows up. Um, Steve Martin plays a really major role as the like sadistic dentist. And uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of a lot of fun. And I was really taken aback actually by how talented of a singer Rick Moranis is. I kind of expected that he could sing, but um, I think that uh, I just thought, I expected him to be like an actor who can sing but not like have the pipes that he has and he's great in this in this movie he's really like got those powerhouse vocals i was really surprised so yeah little shop of horrors i really enjoyed it um does anyone else have an affection for this movie or has anyone seen it yes it's so good i love it it's it's charming and funny i have nothing to add i just like it a lot (laughs) (laughs) yeah frank oz directs uh the puppet for audrey 2 is really amazing and um very i want to say lifelike but uh very very convincing and a lot of fun just a lot of fun fun uh b-movie 
um, campy horror movie. Uh, so uh, the thing I've been watching recently, I wrote about this, actually wrote about both of these things in my quarantine stream. Um, but uh, Ellen Green, who stars in uh, Little Shop of Horrors, also stars in this series. And my roommate and I were just talking about whether Ellen Green's voice is real or not, because she gives this like sort of baby voiced, uh, breathy affectation in Little Shop of Horrors. And then when she sings, she has this very deep throaty voice. And we're like, is it real? And we just started talking about her and how she gives that same performance in Pushing Daisies. So we decided to just pop on Pushing Daisies and I've been revisiting it lately. And uh, yeah, she her voice, <laughs> the breathy voice is not real. It's an affectation. Um, but Pushing Daisies, as always, is just great. I adore this show. Um, it's the Brian Fiddler series that was canceled too soon and um only had two seasons uh, stars lee pace anna friel uh lee pace as the pie maker who can bring back the dead with a touch and uh anna friel as his childhood sweetheart who dies and he brings back but can't touch again because she will die forever uh yeah i absolutely adore this like almost sickeningly sweet uh candy colored aesthetic of it uh with that same degree of almost like camp uh, morbid camp to it as well um just really whimsical really sweet uh i it's like going back to a, a beloved show that i haven't watched in a long, long time so pushing daisies both of them um both pushing daisies and little shop, shop of horrors are streaming on hbo max yeah both of them are wonderful pushing daisies i think is a show that not many people have discovered and i feel like where can you watch? You just said on HBO Max? Yes, they're both on HBO yeah. Max. I high, highly, highly recommend Pushing Daisies. It's my favorite yeah. Brian Fuller thing, um, apart from Hannibal. Actually, both of them are like top tier TV shows, honestly. So I recommend you watch anything Brian Fuller, especially Pushing Daisies, because a lot of you probably haven't been able to discover it yet, like you said, Peter. Yeah, I think I might like it more than Hannibal. Hot take. But okay, uh, let's move on to what we've been eating. I, apparently, I was the only one that ate any food this week because Brad isn't here. On Easter Sunday, I went to Outback Steakhouse uh, for reasons. We had to go to the shopping center that was uh, further away from our house, and there was an Outback there. And we were like, oh, you know, it's Easter. We should eat something bad. So we went to Outback because the Bloomin' Onion, is that what they call it there? Or is it the Awesome Blossom? I think it's the Bloomin' Onion. Different places call it different things. Uh, but the, the thing I wanted to point out to people out there is I ordered this thing called the Boom Marita, which I just thought like it listed off like a, uh, a bunch of different margarita flavors. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll order at the Boom Marita because I want a margarita. And there was like a watermelon there. And she didn't ask me which one I wanted. So she like went away. Uh, the server went away. And I was like, oh, she didn't ask me which one I wanted. Oh, that's fine. Any one of these is good. And she comes back, and apparently I didn't order myself a margarita. I ordered myself a margarita flight. It's a margarita flight that's on this wooden boomerang because, you know, Outback Steakhouse. And <laughs> like a, a raspberry margarita, a, a mango margarita, a watermelon margarita, and a regular margarita. And I mean, they're small portions, but uh, as people are going – or Starting to go back to, to restaurants and stuff. If you're looking for a fun uh, drink to have at a, a, a chain restaurant, I'd recommend the Boomerita, Boomerita at Outback Steakhouse. And um, I'd also recommend uh, not eating too much of that, that onion because 
and couldn't finish my food. But that's it. So, uh, yeah, I guess that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. If you if you want to find more of our work, go to SlashFilm.com. This podcast is published every weekday on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please, you. Yes, I'm talking to you. You know who you are. I'm talking to you out there listening. If you haven't already, go to our Apple podcast page and write us one sentence of why you like this show. Tell the world. Uh, give us five stars. That will help more people discover the show. And, uh, you know, that's a good thing. And we would greatly appreciate it. This is a show that's free and we we rarely have advertisements inserted in here. So, you know, it. I'm, I'm just saying it's it's the, the best you could do. So uh, <laughs> uh, if you have any feedback, questions, comments, concerns, send them to Peter at Sashfilm.com. And uh, thanks for listening. And we'll see you tomorrow. Hey, Peter. 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 Yeah. J- yes, Jacob? You weren't here for the last water cooler, right? And, uh, I mean... Well, I open the gargantuan for I, 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 No, no, no. Torch for post cost equips input put down for Lewis A. Safety. And I decided I listened to it, so I I was kind of there virtually as well. Yeah, but I've decided that I'm going to do double the insults today because you were gone. I open to page 249, the cranks section. Cranks. Peter, the hardest thing you find. No, never mind. That's a bad one. I'm going to skip that one. That's not funny. Kind of funny one. That one's wait, not funny. Wait, what? Uh, I need to know what the bar is for these jokes. <laughs> I'll go back to that one. Peter, your new glasses have helped your vision without changing your prejudice point of view. Wow. Oh. Uh, Chris, uh, it should be interesting to know on what you bias is your opinion. Uh, ben, you really should see a psychiatrist about your infuriating complex. Uh-huh. Uh, HT, her favorite impression is my mind is already made up, so don't confuse me with the facts. Ah, uh, I got back to Peter. Peter gets double this week. Um, <laughs> by the way, Jacob, I'm surprised that you actually read the jokes ahead of time. I just assume that you just pick a joke and you just read it on the air. Oh, I know, I, I, I don't, I do that. I, I read it in, the, in a second before I read it out loud, and then I realize that sometimes they're not worth the trouble. Um, Wait, but- can I can I interrupt this joke book to tell you something that happened? I think a week or two ago on our live stream on Ordinary Adventures. You may I after wanna... I finish the joke. <clears throat> You're so opinionated. Your wife said to you on Sunday, tomorrow will be Monday if it's all right with you. All right. Now you can tell your story, Peter. Okay. So I want to want to hear what you guys think of this. So uh, on the live chat, like people send in questions. We answer questions. But then some people will spend money and send in a super chat. So that we like, you know, we'll definitely get to the super chats. We only get to some of the, the normal chats. And... Someone sent in the super chat and they're like, Peter and Ketro, you know, love your channel, blah, 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 blah. I don't remember exactly what they said, but then it, you know, and I'm reading this because I just, I, I don't read it ahead of time, but I, 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 I guess I should do what you do, Jacob, is what I'm saying. I'm reading it in real time and the super chat turns to like, uh, Sarah, I know you're watching this. I just want to say it's over. I'm breaking up with you. Bye. And, like, I didn't know, I mean, like, well, first of all, I didn't know if it was real, number one. <laughs> number two, like, if I had read that ahead of time, this is a person that's spending good money to have us read their question on the air. Is that something I should have read? I felt so bad after reading it. Return the money and never do that again. Well, I don't think there's any a way to return. There's no 
it's there's no process of that, Jacob. That's weird to me. They should they should I feel like that's a ugly thing someone did to you. That's incredibly unfair and wrong what they did to you, put you in that position. Yeah. And maybe have up from now and have upfront rules about how if if the message is <laughs> cruel or mean spirited, you can pocket the money but not read it. I think that's the best yeah. way to go forward. Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay, it, you can continue, Jacob. Oh no, I'm, I'm done. I, I read my insults oh. thing, and, and I handed this the floor to you, as we do in a society. <laughs> we do live in a society. Yeah, yeah, we do. 